0: It's incredible how in ESG, which is such an important area, um, it has not benefited from serious treatment of what it is that we're really trying to measure and why.
1: Hello and welcome to the first of CityWire's new monthly Fix the Future podcast, where we'll be exploring ideas about how equity investors can use their capital to make the world a better place, while also making good money. I'm Algie Hall, the investment editor of Fix the Future, and today I'm joined by Dan Ariely and Christoph Gleisch. Dan is a James B. Duke professor of psychology and behavioural economics at Duke University. He's hugely influential in his field and beyond. His TED Talks have been viewed over 15 million times. Dan is also the founder of several companies, including co-founder of Irrational Capital, which has devised the human capital factor, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Also with us is Christoph Gleich, who is the president and chief investment officer of Harbour Capital. Harbour has launched two ETFs, which attempt to capture the magic of the human capital factor, which we'll hear a bit more about later. Hello, Dan, and hello, Christoph. Hello.
2: hello. Hi.
1: Great to have you both here. Um, I, I just wanted to start really with a question to you, Dan. Um, you, your work in behavioral economics has shone a light on a really diverse range of topics. And um, I want to know what it is from the many ideas that you've explored that made you think it was worth developing the human capital factor and what it's ultimately trying to achieve.
0: So when I, when I look at the problems around us, whether it's the fact that people uh, don't sleep enough, we don't exercise, we don't manage our money uh, correctly. It's lots of lots of problems. And um, I think about which problems we can create win-win and which ones I think are solvable. And of course, which one are solvable in the tools that I have, which are the tools of social science. And from my perspective, uh, human, human capital is probably the best example of things that have win-win and can be solvable in in social science. So, you know, think about about two factories. One that treats its employees well, and one that doesn't. The first one, uh, people come to work happy. They're probably more productive. Management is happy. Shareholders are happy. The company is doing better. The second one, uh, people are not treated well. They're not happy to show up. They're not motivated at work. And uh, probably management is miserable and the stock market is not, the stock of the company is not doing so well. And if you think about it this way, it's an amazing idea. It's like there's a perpetual motion machine. There's like hidden energy that everybody could benefit from if we can only uncover it. So it's a very unique, it's a very unique thing where you say you have these two-sided market, you have employers and employees, everybody wants the same thing but they don't necessarily know how to get there. And if we can only uncover that with social science, everybody could benefit.
1: I mean, also when you've written about um, motivation, you've described it as being a hugely mysterious yeah. process. Um, I just, I, I, mean, I, 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 was, I kind of thought going, going from that to saying, actually, you know, I can bottle this stuff and, um, you know, put a score on it, which is what you're doing. Um, I mean, what, what made you think that that's a kind of practical thing to do? Yeah. So,
0: so, you know, first of all, There's clearly lots of interest. The fact that uh, motivation is mysterious, like if people were not interested at all, that would be a very big barrier. But I think people are interested. Uh, Companies know it's important. Employees want to be happy. everybody wants this, it's just that it's elusive. And here's the thing. Imagine you're a CEO of a company. How would you go about understanding the nuances of motivation? You know, usually we think about experiments. We think, oh, you should try lots of different things, different variations for different durations, and you'll see which one works and which one doesn't. The point, of course, is um, companies can't do these experiments. First of all, it's very hard to, you know, pay your... uh, Some employees uh, pay better, and some employees give them compliments, and some employees give them high psychological safety. And this is why you need to learn across companies not within a company. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, when I say it's mysterious, if everybody's intuition about motivation was correct, there would be no problem because all HR manager would know exactly what works and they would implement it. But the mysterious part means that it doesn't work as people expect. And because of that, we need to study how it works across organization and then we need to go back and help organization understand how to do it better. I just, I'll just add, if I can quickly as well, we,
2: we hear business leaders often saying, you know, really anywhere in the world, any industry, our most important people, sorry, our most important asset are what? Our people just gave the punchline away there. And um, you talked about mysterious, um, but I think what we've done and what we like to talk about is we've taken the intangible to investable. And it's, it's less mystery and it's more recognizing people for what they are, which is an asset the, the single most important asset that is an intangible asset and due to antiquated accounting rules means it's not accounted for correctly. So if you like, we're trying to sort of correct that notion of accounting rules to take something that is extremely important, intangible and make it invest
1: just in terms of um, this idea about understanding those intangibles. Um, I mean, reading through how the human capital factor worked, it struck me, you know, behavioral economics um, has obviously kind of changed um, the way people think about economics. And so the t- kind of economics I learned in university, um, it was clearly, you know, clearly there were big questions to ask about why we're, we're being taught people worked in that way. And, behavioral economics has upended many of those ideas and reading about the human capital factor and the way you're coming at this idea from a psychology uh, a psychology um, background it made me feel like some of these uh, some of the non-financial measures the ES- ESG measures we have at the moment you're kind of challenging in a similar way to the way behavioral economics challenges traditional economics um, I don't know if I'm reading too much into
0: it or <laughs> no, you, you are but but So, so look, when I, when I think about um, measuring something, I really think about the machinery at work Uh, because, you know, measurement, you have to have a very specific idea of what you want to measure. And then you have to think about how you want to influence it and measurement is not independent on what you think is the engine to generate the numbers. So, so I'll give you a very sad example. And there's an index called the She-Index. And the She-Index takes the companies who have the highest proportion of female executives and board members and invest in those companies. Right? Now, seems like a reasonable idea. But, but it turns out that that index doesn't do so well. It actually does quite poorly. Now, why does it do poorly? Is it because treating women well is not a good idea? Of course not. Treating women well is a fantastic idea. It's because the measurement is not measuring what people think. First of all, you know, and you don't have to think very deeply about it. it it's quite clear. First of all, the proportion of women is not, doesn't mean treating women well. And the second thing is that treating women at the top of the company well doesn't mean that you treat women throughout the company well. So so here's a case of somebody who didn't spend enough time on the measurement itself. They came up with a proxy that is easy. Let's just take percentage of women. Sounds reasonable. Well, if you think about it for, for 15 minutes, you realize it's not, but but what you need to do is to do the hard work of measuring the thing you really want to measure. So for example in our data when when we measure how women throughout the organization feel we find that there's a huge improvement in alpha for treating women well. But it's about treating them well, it's not about you know some some token addition to the board on to the executives. Now, the same thing is true for ESG. There's a lot of ESG measures that it looked like were an afterthought or a little bit of laziness or, you know, something that was easily available and let's make this into an ESG measure. And and I think that these, you know, half-hearted attempts eventually are going to kick us back because, because unless you have a good understanding of what you're measuring and a good theory of why what you're measuring is important, it's not going to have the right effect. You know, and if you think about our measure for human capital, it didn't come from the air. You know, we had lots and lots of years of social science research that says here are the things we're going to look for. So, so, I, I, it, it's incredible how in ESG, which is such an important area, um, it has not benefited from serious treatment of what it is that we're really trying to measure and why. And
1: um, this, this is part, of, this is part of the question in, in in terms of what you can actually get your hands on, because um, with the human capital factor, you've you've got a lot of. Um, data that would have been hidden away to most people from in, internal surveys and things like that and I think it, am, I, am I right in thinking the way you assess one of the ways you assess diversity is whether the, the um the responses from um different groups are similar just to see if everyone's actually having the same experience in a company which seems you know is one of those great things from um uh, behavioral economics it's, it seems obvious when you hear it but so you know it, it probably probably right.
0: And you know you could you could say we're lucky that we have this data that other people might not. Or you could say we worked them hard for a very <laughs> long time uh, to get <laughs> the data and understand it and and improve it. But but yes, we we took a really long time on the data development uh, side. We could have we could have come up with easy proxies as well, right? We could have said let's look at. You know, I don't know what's the the number of times that people from each company post happy words on Twitter. You know, and let's assume that that means that they're happy and, and and so on. But but no, we I think I think it's important to do the legwork up front and make sure you have the right data.
1: And also with this data, because um, J.P. Morgan um, did some very interesting research and produced a very. Um, a, 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 you know back test which looked great but it could only go back 10 years and um, at the beginning obviously there weren't very many um, companies which you were getting data from so and it's, it's the same with all non-financial metrics I think people just haven't been looking for this stuff for very long so in terms of where you are now and how the kind of richness and abundance of data is developing I mean is, is are you are you encouraged by what you're seeing do you feel like you're getting a better understanding all the time still of the human capital factor?
0: Yeah. So, you know, for us, um, this is terrible to say, but COVID uh, was a really, really interesting time. So, so so a couple of things happened. The first, first of all, when, when uh, COVID hit, we kind of doubled down and tried to study more companies because it was such a special time. Uh, We found that everything that we found that was important pre-COVID became even more important. And the reason is that all the things we find are important are about intrinsic motivation, not extrinsic. So they're not about salary and bonuses. They're about, you know, the fire people feel inside about their desire for, for work and progress and their care about their fellow uh, co-workers and so on. So, so, it, so it also became more important. And of course, toward the end of COVID, um, lots of companies started understanding this important role. You know, we had all these, all these questions about, you know, do people want to go back to work? Are people excited about what they're doing? Are they motivated? You know, quiet quitting, all kinds of uh, terminology. But all basically signifying the fact that motivation is centrally important. An organization now now understand it in a, in a better way. So I'm, I think we're going to start a new era where we're, the recognition for, from companies is going to increase and the recognition from the stock market is going to increase. I think it's a good, it's a good time for human capital.
1: One thing I'm curious about in terms of um, what, uh, the, the comment you're making about uh, greater recognition from companies and the stock market if um, companies feel like investors are looking at this data they're collecting for themselves in a way to manage their own operations, do you think there's a rising likelihood that they'll kind of change the way they ask the questions, change the way they report, you know, slightly fudge things to um, get a better share price on the back of um, a, a metric people are looking at?
0: So, so you know, um, every, every time there's a number that is important, by the way, the same thing is true for accounting. Right, you could say, oh, companies know that people look at their accounting, uh, so they're trying to to improve it. And you know, there's probably some like you can go somewhere with some accounting practices, but at some at some point, uh, reality hits. I I think, a couple of things. One is we we understand how to separate real measurement from fake measurement, uh, and two, if if this will happen, we we know how to deal with it. Um, but we do all kinds of things to. To reduce the chances that that those things will it will happen so i'm not I'm not too worried i I see why your concern is there but but I'm not too worried
1: just another question about the data um so i don't want to bang on about the data too much but um how um uh, to what extent are you kind of dependent on companies being kind and giving you the data um and to what extent is it? yours, do you, you know, how, how much, how reliable is it in terms of you getting access to?
0: So, um, we don't depend on companies to be nice. Good. <laughs> and a, a large, a large part of the data is collected for diff- very different purposes. We just have a proprietary use. For this purpose,
1: one of the things I was interested about is, um, and it may be coloured by the politics of the UK just recently, actually, slightly, but a a huge business risk is um, uh, what's termed groupthink, where um, kind of dissenting voices are stifled or ignored. Um, But groupthink strikes me as quite interesting in terms of you looking for our companies, asking the question of whether companies are happy because. It's um, often considered to be a product of very cohesive groups with strong bonds and presumably quite happy groups, happy in their own bubble. And I was just wondering, you know, are happy employees always good employees? And, um, and, and, and also, is there a way that the human capital factor can detect things like group sync, where you may have a very cohesive environment, but the decision making and the capital allocation inside is bad?
0: <laughs> so. It uh, was a big lots, one. So. Lots of questions in this, in this <laughs> statement that pretended to be a question. Um, I I do want to say something about the word happy. Okay. I don't think that the word happy is correct. Uh, you know, happy is usually associated with sitting on the beach drinking mojito. Uh, we we are not interested in in happy. We're interested in you know things that get people to. Truly thrives to do their best at work and at the same time get satisfaction from it. You know, think think about the difference between sitting on the beach drinking mojito and running a marathon or solving a really hard computer programming uh, problem. We're not talking about mindless sitting on the side and you know enjoying enjoying some alcohol. So so you know we we. We do everything to measure that. So our, the way we, um, what we measure our data against is stock market returns. It's about this machinery called a company that continuously try to improve and thrive and innovate and so on. We measure their ability to do that. But I don't think it's about happy. I mean, or we can change the definition of yeah. happy, but, but it's about being truly motivated. So that's, uh, that's one. The second thing about groupthink, um, I, I agree with you that groupthink is a terrible problem. But I don't think that groupthink is associated with happy. It's not that you sit in a meeting and somebody makes, a, your boss makes a ridiculous proposal and you say, oh, I'm so happy, let's just say yes. You know that's just not what happens. What happens is that you're uh, you don't feel that you can voice your opinion. So if you think about uh, groupthink, I think the antidote uh, to groupthink is psychological safety and intellectual humility. And and I think that those those two parameters basically say. He's my boss. He's in charge of my salary and promotion and so on. But I think this is not a, better, a good idea, and let I, I'm not worried about voicing my my opinion. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what psychological safety is about. It's about not fearing any repercussions. And by the way, we, and we find that psychological safety has a big a big role. I think exactly because of that, because you know, organization needs people to be able to say, hey. Maybe this is not a good idea or let, let us worry about this, this other side of the, of the issue. So I agree with you about groupthink, but I don't think groupthink and happy is the same thing. I think groupthink and social pressure for conformity and stifling information sharing are the, the enemies, one of the big enemies of progress
1: yeah and, and that shows up at a kind of on another level yeah so what wanna
2: cut mentioned so in terms of some of the stronger signals psychological safety is one in that um irrational capital have figured out how to measure psychological safety as a factor and it's a very it's one of the strongest signals in the overall human capital factor and i think sort of it's almost the opposite of it's almost the anti-group thing and that if you have groupthink, group think you, you don't have psychological safety, you have the reverse. And so actually this, um, human capital factor favors businesses that value independent thought psych, psych that shows up through psychological safety. Another one as well, which I think is important that Dan didn't mention is, you know, trust and transparency is another strong signal in that. If you trust your colleagues, you trust your boss. And there's transparency in the workplace. You're more likely to get creativity, innovation, outside of the box thinking. These types of things that are kind of a precursor for businesses to to maintain success and innovation over the long run.
1: I I also wanted to just ask about um in terms of the type of businesses which tend to have um these kind of you know strong uh, strong corp- corporate cultures because obviously we you, you've you've been able to look back ten years, but it's ten years in which um. Businesses which have um very strong human capital have have done very well in stock market terms and, and I, I know you've kind of boxed off different sectors to see how they've performed do you i mean do you think this is an across the board thing that human capital the human cap, capital factor has a big influence, or if we had um the last ten years where very capital intensive physical physical capital users
0: were doing very well would would you you've got the same results, do you think? Let me, let, uh, let me say the following. When we started this, I was kind of prejudiced. You know, I had this notion of human capital being very, very important at places like Google and Microsoft and so on. And I had the idea that it was less important in manufacturing, for example. And, you know, kind of prejudice of me and it turns out I was wrong. And, you know, this, uh, this journey has been really uh, fascinating. So, so first of all, here's some results. It turns out that if you look at low-end employees at some of the large chains, think Target, Walmart, stuff like that, people that are motivated, that have high human capital, if there's something that is not on the shelf, and a customer is looking for it, they go to the back, they find it, and they bring it to them. And if they're not motivated, they go back and they say, I didn't find it. They don't really look. So so that's on one level. But I had another interesting story. I met this engineer who worked at a, a pipe company. And they had a certain percentage of pipes that got broken. And he spent two years hunting down the reason for the cracks. The, the story, by the way, is really interesting. What, what happened is when you, when you um, put the metal for pipes, the lubricant that they use is glass, right? You can't use oil, so the lubricant is glass. And what happened is that the glass they bought were from windshields of cars that got crashed, and it turns out the GM put the metal, the antenna, in you know, order not to have an antenna, they put a little bit of metal in the glass. Now you could never see it, but there was a little bit of metal in the glass and that was enough to crack some of the pipes. Now he was a guy, it was completely none of his business to do this detective work. It took him two years. You know, it's not an easy thing to figure out that. The cracks come from the fact that the glass is is tainted. Huge improvement in productivity for the company, all from somebody who was really relentless about seeing cracks, caring about it. Like the guy didn't have shares in the the company. You know, he wasn't a high-level employee, but unbelievably dedicated. Now, that's an amazing story. And I don't think it's rare. I think it, it, you know, there's opportunity for improvements everywhere. People just need to care. Christoph, maybe you
1: could just um, uh, tell us a bit now about the um, the two ETFs you have, yeah, um, uh, you, you, you have um, launched, and, and also kind of, you know, what the challenges you found in terms of taking this um, these scores and actually making them into an investable product. Sure. So I think.
2: So let's level set we have two etfs uh with the tickers of both with happy h-a-p-y and h-a-p-i um, we launched happy with a y in february of 2022 and we launched happy with an i um in october of 2022 so just a month or so ago uh the first one we, we launched is the if you like the more unconstrained version the more concentrated the leaders um, and that is just constructed on a pure human capital factor score without regard of really any portfolio construction or sector constraints. Because if you, if you wanna to access to the businesses with the highest human capital factor score, um, that's the ETF that provides investors with that solution. And happy with an eye, um is sector constrained against the S&P 500 uh, sectors. So it's more of a, if you like, a, an S&P 500 tracker replacement. The challenges with measuring this data that really resonates with, with investors, and I think some of the challenges is um, definitely an opportunity because it will ensure that this investment factor cannot be vanguarded or I shared away, meaning this, is, this cannot be replicated easily and then just be aved away by copycats. And so we're really protective of this. And we think that this is, you know, in a, in a world of low returns today, having an uncorrelated alpha driven by human capital as the importance of the knowledge economy increases is just really, really valuable and, you know, a very positive reaction. And we see this new factor in investing, uh, you know, growing significantly from here.
0: I, I, want, to, I want to add something, you know, with a couple of interesting reactions from people from time to time. One of them is that people say that they are, investing only by fundamentals and you know this is this is a statement okay do you, you want to give up human human capital that's not fundamental it's not um and you know it just tells you that people are so used to whatever they were given and they get overly attached to you know what we started with uh, christoph has a, a a nice framing he said you know the fact that human capital is not on the books not on the not you know, not capitalize as an investment uh, in, in accounting term is a mistake. It just shouldn't have, you know, people should have done it. So so one thing is like people say, I'm a fundamentally investor. I want to ignore human capital. That's kind of a um, funny, one funny statement. And then another funny statement we get from time to time is people say, oh, yes, but the analysts know exactly what the human capital is. And they, they already take it into considerations. Now, that's one you can actually verify. So we asked some analysts about what they understand about human capital. They, we gave them companies. We actually uh, just, they have no idea. <laughs> uh, they have no idea. But, you know, it just tells you like, it, it's a, like, if you started from scratch and you say, what do I want to measure about the company? to Decide if I want to invest in it or not. It would be very hard to say that you don't want to measure human capital is one of the The most important thing you would want to measure and i just just finish on you know at
2: harbour you know we're all about active management and active management is essentially about exploiting the inefficiency in the marketplace and this is a great description of that yeah it's delivered via an index fund rules-based systematic very disciplined but it is essentially exploiting an accounting inefficiency in a disciplined and repeatable way that we think will generate value over the long run.
1: Great. I mean, it's, yeah, no, I think it's really exciting. Just the richness of the ideas behind it is what I personally find very exciting. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, lots of people be watching with interest. Um, so, well, just yeah, I guess that just, it just leaves it for me to say thank you very much for your time. Uh, both of you, it's been a um, real delight talking to you um and yeah uh, dan i've been a big fan of your work for many years and um I, I think uh preparing for this interview i read payoff which i hadn't read before which i think if anyone want, wants to kind of get a feel of you know the ideas which are in you know go into the human capital factor and just ideas about motivation it's a terrific book i absolutely loved it and um incredibly short as well so you can just um yeah
0: very short plus plus you have a lot of uh Mistakes about how people set their wills in the wrong way at the end. If you if you have the energetic character. So thank you very much. Pleasure. Very nice to meet you. Yeah, thank you. Take care.